Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, everybody glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, first time in a long time, I'm delighted to have uh, you with us. Ray, my brother. Hey, you got to come back next week. Oh, 25. Okay, Ray's preaching next week. You'll hear a good sermon. Um, if you're watching online, man, we're delighted to have you with us, and we can glad we can extend our ministry in this way into your home, uh, onto your uh, device. Because here's the deal: um, whether you're watching online or you're in the room, God has arranged this moment. He's longing to speak into your life. He can use the device. He can use this atmosphere to make his presence known, to, to, to make his presence felt. So that's what we're longing for. That's what we, why we've come. But I, I got a few questions for you to get going. Uh, how many plan to watch the game this afternoon? Okay, oh my gosh, a whole bunch of you. Um, how many are uh, cheering for the Chiefs? Oh, cool. How many uh, want the 49ers to win? Oh, my gosh. How many are just glad the Patriots aren't in it? <laughs> um, how many are like my wife and just don't give a rip? Except the weird thing in our home this afternoon will be, I'll be glued to the tube watching the game. Commercials come on. I run out of the room. She runs into the room to watch commercials, runs out of the room when the game comes on. Um, me, my Debbie is all about the commercials. I'm all about the snacks. And I wanted to show you what I prepared. Yeah, baby. Now this, this appetizer, Spam hors d'oeuvres, is for the milder appetite, you know, pineapple and Spam. But here's what men eat. Bacon wrapped Spam, baby. <laughs> Deep fried. Um, it should be a food group all by itself. Um, we're, you've joined us as we're going through the Jesus Storybook Bible. And if you're doing this um, with us, your last story was the story of Noah. Noah and the worldwide flood. That's what I'm talking about today to give you some insights that aren't in the storybook. Um, and this, this thing is so compelling. Um, here's a picture of me and my dog doing devotions, reading this book together. Uh, shortly after this picture, she was baptized. <laughs> Speaking of which, we've already had 25 people share fully in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through baptism this weekend. And maybe, you know, you got out of bed, you hit the shower, you had some breakfast, wasn't even on your radar. I mean, you're going to show up at church but it wasn't even consideration that you would be baptized. I want to tell you the greatest thing that's going to happen to you today, the greatest excitement, the most fun, is not watching a ball game or enjoying creative commercials or spam snacks. The greatest thing is right now when Jesus touches you. 
Greatest thing is right now when Jesus speaks into your life. Greatest thing is right now is he draws you to himself because there are implications for your life and you're for your forever on the basis of how you respond to Jesus over the next several, next several minutes. Um, let me ask this question. How many of you can remember when you either received or offered a proposal of marriage? Remember when that happened? I'm glad. How many of you, um, he got down on one knee? Guys, did you get down on one? My wife got down on one knee. She's begging me. Kidding. I'm lying, Debbie. Don't leave me. Uh, don't burn my spam. Um, how many of you asked the bride's father for blessing? Before you even talked to her about it, you went to him first. Anybody do that? You're the dude. I love you guys. Oh, so here, I, I just wanted to set us up so that you can hear about post-engagement moments in the day of Jesus. Not long ago, I told you about how an engagement happened, but today I want to take you into the moment. The, the engagement is the sealed deal. They know they're going to get married. So the young bride-to-be throws herself into the arms of her young husband-to-be. And she just, I mean, maybe she's crying, but she says, when can we be married? Uh, when can we live under the same roof? When can we be a family together? And do you know the traditional response to those questions? Say, all the guys said the same thing every time. It was this. He'd look down at her. He'd hold her, maybe stroke her hair. And he would say, let not your heart be troubled. You trust in God? Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come to get you, to take you, to be with me where I am. In fact, those are the very words, words of devotion and commitment that Jesus used when he announced to them the unsettling news that he was going to depart for them. He was going to leave them, leave this planet, be in heaven and be gone for them for an extended, extended, extended season of time. Well, that young man who said those words to his bride-to-be, he would make a beeline home and he would start working. This is one of my favorite things when I take people to Israel is to show them where this has happened, where there's the father's house and where son after son has built room after room on the father's house where he and his bride could live. And so this young man, he wants to get married as quickly as his young lady. He's as passionate as she is and he goes right to work. He starts to construct walls. He lays out the floor. He puts on a roof. He designs windows and doors. But he, no matter how skillful, no matter how hard he works, he does not get to decide when the room is finished in order and ready for his bride. Only the father gets to decide. His dad. His dad calls the shots. His dad says, okay, everything now is in order. No one knew when it was going to happen. The son didn't know. The bride-to-be didn't know. Only the father know, knew when he would say, okay, son, you can go get your bride. So when Jesus continues his teaching, this is what he says. No one knows the day or hour because to see his followers ask him this, what's going to be the sign of the end of the world and your coming back, your second coming, your coming again? Jesus says, nobody knows. No one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor even the sun. I don't know, Jesus said. 
Only the Father knows when. And then Jesus goes, okay, dudes, I can tell you right now, for show what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And he goes on to say this in the teaching. Just as life went on, Remember our stories about Noah? Just as life went on in the days of Noah, so it will be at my second coming. In the, day, in the days before the flood, people were eating spam, drinking, proposing marriage, and being married until the very day that Noah went into the ark. How many doors in the ark? One. Who's the door? Jesus. That's why Jesus would say, no one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the door you got to go through to get to the Father. Noah went through that one door into the ark. People did not believe. Didn't believe that there would be a flood. He had warned them. They didn't buy it. Not until it came and destroyed them all. Jesus says, so it will be at my second coming. The world's going to end and here's how it's going to happen. Two men will be out in the field together. One will be taken to paradise, to heaven. The other will be Jack Duck out of luck. Two women will be going about their household task. One will be taken to heaven. The other will be left behind. Man, you, you don't want to be the one left behind. Don't want to be left behind by Jesus. So stay alert. Stay on your toes. You, you, you don't know what day your Lord will come. And so... I'm not a genius, but I see Jesus laying out for us four dynamics of his second coming and the end of the world. Number one is this. Jesus is coming again. I hope it's at halftime today. (laughs) But he is coming again. He will come unexpectedly. That's number two. No one's going to see it coming. He's going to come. He's going to come unexpectedly. Number three, there are those who will have made themselves ready for his coming. They don't know when it's going to happen. They just know it's going to happen and they've gotten everything in order for his coming so they can go with him to paradise. And number four, there will be those who are unprepared and they'll be left behind. There are those who won't be ready who will be left behind. Well, one of the guys standing there listening to Jesus lay out these four points in his talk, his name was Peter, close friend of Jesus. And later he would have the opportunity to write this down in a letter that he sent to Jewish people. And this is how Peter would write it. He he wrote this way. He said, Christ, 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 Jesus, he never sinned. He was sinless, knew no sin, did no sin, which made him the only perfect candidate to die for our sins. Jesus never sinned, but he died for sinners. Why? To bring us safely home to God. This is huge because heaven is the perfect place. It's the home, perfect home of a perfect God. And only perfect people get to go to heaven. Whoa, what's up with that? Because nobody's perfect. So how does anybody get to go to heaven? Jesus never sinned. Now I was reading uh, Hebrews 2 today in my personal devotions and it said that it hurt Jesus. It was painful to Jesus. It was hurtful to him every time he was tempted, just like we've been tempted, just like we're continually tempted. It was painful to him. In fact, in Hebrews 5, it says that with loud cries and tears, he battled his way through every temptation, but it hurt him, but he took the test for us. He passed the test with flying colors, knew no sin, did no sin, so that he could lay down a sin life on the cross in our place as our substitute, taking the punishment we deserve for our sin to pay 
for our sin. Christ never sinned, but he died for sinners. Why? To bring them safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised. Physical death, that happened on Friday. We call it Good Friday. That was Friday. He was executed. On Easter Sunday, the world calls it, he was risen from the dead. On Friday, hey, you know, I had, um, had two grandmothers, Ruby and Pearl. They were a couple of gems. But my grandma Ruby, my grandma Pearl were believers and when their eyes closed in death, they instantaneously opened in the presence of Jesus. So when Jesus dies on the cross, breathes his last breath, his eyes immediately open. Not in this old bloody, beat up, brutalized, murdered body, but in a brand new resurrection body, his eyes open in the presence of God the Father. So, on Friday, he is executed on a cross, worst kind of death. On Sunday, he, he is risen from the dead. What's he do on Saturday? Well, scholars do disagree on this, but I line up with the scholars who say, Peter's gonna answer that question with the next thing he writes, and he writes this way. Oh, okay, that was cool, they got that. Fact number one, Jesus died for your sins. Fact number two, God raised you from the dead. You believe that, you get to go to heaven. So hold on to those facts. Here we go. Here's what Jesus did on Saturday. Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey God. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah, there were all those people, everybody on the planet other than Noah and his kids and their wives and his wife. Everybody on the pl- else on the planet didn't buy it, didn't believe, didn't obey God. So Jesus goes to preach to those spirits in prison in hell, because they formerly did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, Noah, his sons, their wives, and Noah's wife, were brought safely through the water. The world was a wreck, was a mess, was ugly, gross, despicable. God says, I'm going to wipe it out. I'm going to wash away all the death and all the sin. No one, his family gets saved. And God says that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God for a clean conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what's happening here through all this writing that Peter's doing, he's building a legal case that Jesus died for your sins, a sinless sacrifice, that God raised him from the dead, and he offers these exhibits of evidence, a line of evidence. Exhibit A is this. Everyone goes their own direction away from God. That's what happened in the days of Noah. And here's how the Bible describes it. God saw human evil. This is the days of Noah. Saw human evil. It was out of control. People thought evil, imagined evil, 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 evil from morning to night. And God was sorry. He had made the human race in the first place. It broke his heart. God said, I'll get rid of my ruined creation. As far as God was concerned, the earth had become a sewer. There was violence everywhere. God took one look and saw how bad it was. Everyone corrupt and corrupting. Life itself corrupt to the core. God decided, I'm going to bring a flood on the earth. I'm going to wash all this gross stuff away. It'll destroy everything alive under heaven. Total 
destruction. So the 25 people who've already been baptized this weekend, anything wrong with them has been washed away. And everything right with Jesus is covering their life. And this is how all my ugly imperfections are dealt with. All my ugly imperfections are put on Jesus and all his perfection is put on me. And that's how I get to go to heaven. All your uh, gross flaws go on Jesus and all his perfect flawless character is imputed to your life. That's how you get to go to heaven. When you believe that Jesus is sinless God, God in the flesh, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, when you believe that and you act out your belief through baptism, An imperfect person becomes perfect and gets to go to glory forever when they die. When your eyes close in death, they will instantaneously open in the presence of God in heaven. Exhibit A, everybody goes the wrong way. I've gone the wrong direction away from God with my life. You've gone the wrong direction away from God with your life. Here's exhibit B. We all can go in the right direction. We can all go God's way. We got it in us. He made us that way. We can turn from the way we were going and we can go toward God. In fact, Peter, when he had opportunity to preach it, people said, what can we do to be saved? He said, you know, turn to God. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people were baptized that day. Men, anyway. We don't know how many women and children. Let's say 10,000 people were baptized that day. But here's what we know about Noah. Noah was a mess, Noah was a screw-up. His family was dysfunctional, just like I'm a mess, just like you're a mess. But Noah, just like us, just trying to get his mess closer to God, he walked faithfully with God, which points to Jesus. That's the deal about this book that's so cool. And the Bible itself, in the Bible, everything means something and everything points to Jesus. So Noah, he was a big arrow pointing to the coming of Jesus. Jesus would walk faithfully with God, would walk faithfully all the way to the cross, through every temptation, lay his life down, die on the cross, would walk out of the tomb victorious, walking still with God. Exhibit C in our line of evidence, we can make the right decision. Sure, we all screw up. We all go in the wrong direction away from God, but we got it in us, all of us do, to go God's way. And we can make the right decision and be baptized and be saved. Um, In fact, Jesus said it this way. Anyone, that means me. Anyone, that means you. Anyone, that means Patriot fans. Anyone. Anyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. So, you know, you see that belief comes first. Belief comes first. You personally believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead. You personally, and on the basis of your personal belief, you are personally baptized. Now, many of you maybe were baptized when you were little bitty babies. And that was on the basis not of your belief. That was on the basis of your mom and dad's belief. Well, you don't get to go to heaven based on somebody else's belief. I mean, that was a great thing, great spiritual experience for your mom and dad. And they gave you a strong spiritual legacy. They cared about you spiritually. But there comes a time when you got to have your own faith. Not your mama's, not your papa's, not your girlfriend's, not your anybody's. 
It's your faith that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. And he is your forever friend. Now you got your own faith. And so Peter, as he writes, here's how he describes it. He said, eight persons were brought safely through the water. That water, that flood is a picture of baptism. It wiped away all the bad stuff. All that was left was new life. That's baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God for a clean conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is exhibit D in his line of evidence to prove beyond debate that Jesus is God in the flesh, died for our sins, rose from the dead. And here it is, the right response, baptism, is an appeal to God um, for a clean, through a clean conscience. Now, the English doesn't really get it. And you probably know, Peter didn't write this in English. He wrote in Greek. Now, this is huge to me because that word appeal is everything. And it, it comes from the Greek word, epiro. Tema, um, which means an intense desire. All 25 people that have been baptized this weekend, they had an intense desire for God. And they followed that inner desire for God on the inside by on the outside sharing with Jesus fully in his death. Jesus died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb and God raised him from the dead. That's what they experienced today. They put their past behind them. They buried their baggage. Their sins were washed away, cleansed of guilt and shame. They were buried in the water. And God raised them up. I got to tell you this next word, but that intense desire is everything. In fact, what you're saying is, uh, in me, that intense desire for God, I was baptized as a kid, as an adult in the Jordan River in Israel, and then with my wife, Debbie, in the Jordan River in Israel. And my intense desire for God continues to grow. And you continue to find expressions. But the first expression is baptism. It's an res- expression of that tense desire, desire within you for God. But the conscience deal, um, that doesn't quite cut it from the Greek. The word clean, the Greek word is agathos. And agathos means joyful excellence, not perfection. Joyful excellence, like my Deb and I, I went out to eat at a really fanciest restaurant I've ever been to this past Thursday night with uh, Craig and Kathy Zastro, some of our friends. And oh my gosh, uh, my meal, I had lobster bisque. I'm glad I wasn't paying for it because our bill was like $97. And that was just a tip. <laughs> so anyway, lobster bisque, crab cakes. I had this chicken dish with a couple of chicken breasts and under it was like sweet potatoes and broccoli sprouts and sausage. And I mean, I ate every bit a food. I've never seen a doggy bag that I had any interest in. (laughs) But at the end of that meal, as I sat back and enjoyed the company of my wife and my friends, I was fully satisfied. That's what joyful excellence means, that you are fully satisfied with Jesus. And when he is in your marriage, there is joyful Excellence, you are fully satisfied. You get fully satisfied in your finances. You get fully satisfied in your thoughts and your emotions in every aspect of your life 
where's this intense desire for God, he offers, it triggers his joyful excellence, full satisfaction. Does it mean you don't have problems? Heck no. Jesus was baptized and then they crucified him, but God wasn't done with the story. He raised Jesus from the dead. So you're going to have struggles. You're going to have painful problems, but your God is at work to your good. Your God is making everything beautiful when it's time. Your God is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more than all you can ask or even imagine. That's your God. So let's take a look at what Peter writes as we unearth it from the Greek. That water, flood water that washed away the death and brought new life, that water is a picture of baptism that now saves you. Just like Jesus says, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. It doesn't mean just go to heaven. It means that you get delivered now from your anger issues, delivered now from pornography, delivered now from uh, despair, delivered now from marital difficulties, delivered now from parenting challenges. You name it, he can deliver you from it. That was, the water was a picture, now saves you, not by removing dirt from the outer body, but as an intense desire for God, for a life of joyful excellence through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the guy that wrote most of the Bible, I like to quote him because Paul, he didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was God. He didn't believe Jesus was sinful. He was glad when they killed Jesus on the cross. He did not believe Jesus had risen from the dead until they had a face-to-face encounter. And then he came to become the strongest advocate for Jesus on the planet. And here's what Paul wrote about baptism. Your old sin-loving nature, it's buried with Jesus. You bury your baggage. You put your past behind you. It's buried with Jesus by baptism. And when God the Father, with glorious power, I mean, what other kind of power could raise a dead person back to life on the third day after their execution? It was a glorious power of God that brought Jesus back to life. But look at this. That same unstoppable, triumphant, glorious power is yours when you surrender fully to Jesus and share in his death, burial, and resurrection. With glorious power, he brought Jesus back to life again, and you were given this wonderful, new life. It's his wonderful new life. It's wonderful, full of wonder, new life to enjoy, have joyful excellence. So let me just take a couple more minutes to show you a couple other ways that Noah points to Jesus. First is in his name, Hebrew, Nuach, and it means rest and comfort. That's Jesus. He's the best comforter. And rest, um, rest is huge. Because when you rest, he works to your good. When you try to fight your own battles, mm, baby, you're going to lose every time. But when Jesus is allowed to win your battles for you, his victory becomes your victory. Here's how the Bible says, the book of Isaiah, in that day, he who created, that Jesus created the universe, In that day, he who created will be a banner of victory so that you win. You get delivered from mental struggles and emotional struggles and physical struggles and financial struggles. You win. He wins for you, and his victory becomes your victory. You get everything that he gets. As he is, so are you in this world. That's the Bible. 
In that day, he who created will be a victory banner. He goes on the battlefield. He, wa- he wins the battle. All you got to do is rest that he's actively at work to your good. All you got to do is rest with confidence that he's working everything, making everything beautiful in its time. And his rest will be glorious. It's glorious because you are on the receiving end of his victory for every aspect of your life. And then here's another indication that Noah was an arrow pointing to Jesus. Noah was pleasurable to the Lord. You know what this points us to? You know what this makes me think of? The day Jesus, he'd walk 70 miles 70 miles. He's probably 30 years old. Walked 70 miles. I don't know how long it took him. But he's standing in line with a bunch of folks like us waiting to be baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. And when it's his turn, Jesus steps out into the muddy, swirling depths of the Jordan River. And John the Baptist says, dude, I know who you are. If anybody baptizes somebody today, you should baptize me. And Jesus says, John... This is what is right in God's eyes for me. And if Jesus being baptized was right in God's eyes for him, this sinless Christ, how could it not be right for me in God's? How could it not be right in God's eyes for you? John puts Jesus under the water. And when he brings Jesus up out of the water, Jesus comes up praying and God talks back. The heavens part and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Noah was found pleasurable in the eyes of the Lord, and Jesus was well-pleasing in the sight of God. In fact, we want everyone who is baptized here to know, right now, God is whispering over your soul, you are God's beloved daughter or son in whom he is well-pleased. See, Jesus didn't just set the example for us to follow him in baptism. As soon as you believe that Jesus is God who died for your sins and rose from the dead, first thing you do is be baptized. It's not just an example, though. He did it so that we could, remember what Noah does? He goes up to the top of the ark, that gigantic boat, and releases a dove. And guess what happens in the baptism of Jesus? The Holy Spirit, like a dove falls down and settles on him and grows within him, fills him to the full with the fullness of God. So it's for the forgiveness of sins. It's to be cleansed of all guilt and shame. It's to to launch a life of joyful excellence, fully satisfied with Jesus. In fact, I'm inviting you to that experience Today, if you'd stand with me, please. And, you know, maybe you're thinking, well, David's probably talking to the people that are already planned to be baptized. No, I believe God is talking to you. And maybe you're thinking, well, I I don't know that I want to be a member of this church. That's okay. We don't know that we want you. (laughs) No, you're not baptized into a church. You're baptized into Jesus. And you think, I saw those people being baptized. I didn't bring a towel. We got hundreds of towels. They all say Holiday Inn, but we got lots of towels. We got new t-shirts for today that say brand new. Because that's what you're becoming in Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. 
Jesus is alive in you, rooted and established in love. We hope you're able to grasp the height and the depth, the length and the breadth of the love of Christ for you. So I just, you know, I'm having a little bit of fun, but I want you to know that everything is ready for you to be joined with Jesus in baptism. I, I cannot think of one excuse that would stand in the presence of God, one um, obstacle that we can't tear down now with prayer. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.